I will set the zeitgeist straight. The movie has too much of the cast in it. Man, I'm saddled with Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> the world's most uncharismatic actor. <laughs> but it has no poetry. That's not what this is about. The so. problem was when the hero started facing adversity. Get off your soapbox, Laura Dern. <laughs> I want to square off on this guy at a dinner party. The music was thick. So far, you have not dazzled me. I'm just letting <laughs> you know. Welcome to Off the Mark, good chat on bad takes of great movies. I am Dave Colombo. I'm McAndrews. Uh, let's do the entire thing like it's AM radio. Oh, yes, we'll bring it real down. Low. Really, let's, really let's down. Let's do that. Uh, I, I can't even maintain talk about <laughs> Um So here's what we wanted to do today. So basically our podcast is we like to read reviews of awful, terrible um, reviews of the greatest movies ever made um, so that we can figure out what the hell they were thinking. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I always feel like, and especially in these last like five episodes, I've, we've been desperate to like get to the get to the the meat of each episode. And there's so much that we can talk about, so much extra stuff going on, so much around the entire concept. So we thought yep. we would do like a, a, a little side episode where we kind of read a couple of reviews that we found that, you know, for, for movies that we didn't have enough to really make a full episode out of and do some little odds and ends and other stuff and kind of talk around the subject a little bit um, as like a little, you know, kind of interlude episode. And we'll get back to full movies shortly. But, you know, what do you think? What, what's what's been yeah, on your I'm mind? I'm excited for this one. I'm excited for this just because... Um... I find that these these smaller uh, fringe movies. Some you've previewed a few of them for me, so I, I think I know what's in the can here. But some of these movies, I think, lend themselves to being like not big enough for people to like make a stand and make a principled argument. I'm kind of hoping for some real like off the wall thoughts on these <laughs> movies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like who's got a hot take on that movie? Like well, why? Why are you worried about? You know what people think of this some of it is is done out of necessity because like when we look for reviews a lot of times you know um rotten tomatoes will say like yeah five people hated die hard um and then you go to you and you try to look it up and all of them you know besides the little one word blurb all of them are no longer found this has been scrubbed from the internet right. you will never ever find this and so all you're left with is just the blurb from a from a review gone by that has disappeared to the ages. And so, you know, you can't really do a full episode with like one sentence. So it's fun to kind of like maybe kind of compile a little a few of these together. To give um, you an idea, I tried to find a review the other day for a movie uh, from CinemaWriter.com. Mm -hmm. Turns out that domain is now available if anyone's interested <laughs> in buying it. Oh, we should get it and then do our own terrible reviews. And write our own reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or fill in the blanks from old reviews. So, that <laughs> yeah, that would be great. So before we, we start anything, I have to show you my, my new purchase. Um, every now and then I get crazy and I go on eBay. Um, and I found As you do. Oh, my God. <clears throat> this is a poster for the world premiere screening of Space Mutiny from Whoa. Variety Magazine. Whoa. So <laughs> I bought it. It's literally the page taken out of the, of the magazine to advertise that Space Mutiny will have its premiere screening. World premiere screening. Oh, my God. Screening That's schedule great. 1988, Sunday, October it's, 23rd it's at 5 p.m. It's even got the... The stupid fucking golf cart speeder yeah, on it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and they're just shooting great. off in two different directions. I, it, this is <laughs> going to have a prime spot because it's just anything, anything that's like, I don't know about you. I mean, we've talked, we've talked a little about, we've talked a little about, you know, like uh, movie props and, and the actual tactile thing. Mm. Anything that is an actual piece of history especially from like a mystery science theater movie where yeah. there there was not interest until mystery science, like th movies that just fell through the cracks and nobody cares about this thing. But then mystery science theater came around and reignited people's interest and love for this thing. Even if it's ironic, I I'm blown away by that. And I just wanted to capture because a lot of it gets lost to the ages. Cause it's not like it's props from citizen Kane. These are things that like nobody. Oh, sure. I want I want yeah. to I want to save them, you know. Yeah, 
you know what is always great is when you see them like duplicated like that's what that's when i get excited is every now and then you see something like the masks they used for some of the aliens in this island earth Mm -hmm. shows up in another movie because they were on the lot and they needed to like and i'm just like oh my god it's all one place yeah all all of my all of my uh you know like nostalgia and love for these horrible movies is all, they're all made in the same factory. Yeah. Uh, that excites me so much or to see like, uh, I don't know. I forget what movie it was, but it was a uh, uh, mystery science theater movie. They did where they used the exact same lizard mask um, from the famous star Trek Kirk. Really? Fight scene. Yeah. I forget what movie it was, but it was in the back and it's just uh, the same it, mask. It, it's just and i don't even think the writers on mst3k caught it yeah. but i remember seeing it being like that's 100 um that's 100 the same costume well there's a very and, famous piece of like lab equipment that's been in like star trek and babylon 5 and mm-hmm. like mac and me or something like it's been like in <laughs> in like and it's the same it's like a tube with like a laser going through it and it's just this mm. default like it's a futuristic thing that goes yeah. in the cargo a future bay. coil yeah, yeah future coil <laughs> oh that should have been the name of the podcast and <laughs> and you know knowing that it's just like someone dug it out and it's like what do we change how much do how much can we let's move it to this angle and no one will know kind of thing is amazing mm-hmm. to me uh one i see a lot there's an episode of Doctor Who. They're trapped on a space station that's circling a black hole. They wear these orange spacesuits with like a square kind of cuff around the front. That spacesuit shows up in so many shows. Yeah. It shows up everywhere. And I know that they're not the first ones to use it. That's... I love seeing that as like a connected kind of like link of like little peek behind the curtain it's like hearing the wilhelm scream and and annoying everyone around you by going like there it is well did Did you you hear did you hear the what they the the new news about the wilhelm scream they found (laughs) that is the most that is the most inside baseball movie did you hear the news yeah (laughs) (laughs) did you hear the news about the wilhelm i mean you're you're up to date with the with wilhelm (laughs) trivia right it's insane they found the original audio recording of the actor in the studio doing random wild lines that eventually got the wilhelm scream because the original was not filmed uh on location because i can't remember if it's either the one where the guy gets shot in the leg or if he's being attacked by a a gator. They keep saying that like the original Wilhelm scream is further and further back, but they mm-hmm. found the audio tape of him going like, "All right, Frank, uh, why don't we just need you to, uh, you know, screaming like you're getting eaten by a by a bear or something." Yeah. And he just goes like, ah! "Yeah," but like he does a couple <laughs> that aren't quite that right. Aren't the Wilhelm scream? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and it's hilarious because he's just like you know he's just like ah and they're like no i mean you know like like more more (laughs) immediate and he's just kind of like ah and they're like no it's just it's try try one more and he goes ah and it's like it's yes there it is oh cut print it's in because because they didn't know that this was history being made in that moment it's like stuff like that oh that's fantastic but yeah so so let's let's jump in. So I have a couple of uh, quick little things that we can do here uh, to kind of just a little palate cleanser from the last couple of days. So we had a, a comment on YouTube of somebody who who's watched the show. Uh, thank you so much. Please comment, like, share, subscribe, and and. Uh, we'll read your comments out on the show uh, if you have anything that you'd like to add. But someone said, I once saw a review of the movie Gandhi in the Miami Herald that infuriated me. If I recall correctly, the reviewer complained that Ben Kingsley looked too much like Gandhi. Uh, what? <laughs> now, honestly, before we started this show, I would have probably been like, no. No one would have written that. There's yeah. no way. But now that we've dealt with the insanity of what our show has has done... I do not put it past somebody to be like, and he looks too much like him. I can't 
decide though if my gut reaction is that that is someone saying he looks too Indian. It may have been. It may have been that it's like when did the when did Gandhi come out? Is but, that in like the the early eighties? I think early eighties. Oh yeah, eighty two. Okay. Uh, never mind. I thought it was earlier than that. Um, I was trying to think of like how far out from john wayne's the conqueror are we right <laughs> <laughs> but but would yeah. they have preferred ben kingsley to not even try to look like Gandhi? But, but i noticed that it's it doesn't sound like the review is ben kingsley shouldn't have done it it's that like be, he did it and it's they, they did too good a job and and the yeah, fact that they did yeah, too good a job yeah. is, is is the racism <laughs> Now that you say that, I, I don't know for sure, but like, that's also a weird, it's a weird way to communicate Ben Kingsley shouldn't have been Gandhi to say that he looks too much like him. But yeah. again, we're going by this guy who said that that's what he remembered from that review. So yeah, well, is... and also to the, to the point of that comment, like, uh, there is no suggestion. It doesn't sound like we haven't read the review, but it doesn't sound like. Uh, the reviewer suggested an alternative. <laughs> no, yeah. Just he's, he or she would still cast Ben Kingsley as Gandhi. <laughs> and from my experience with film reviewer, film critics from 1982, I don't think they're going to be like, how about some representation? <laughs> like, I yeah, cannot. Yeah, that's not the note. <laughs> that is definitely not the note. Um, so here is a, a review that I found. It's the only negative one that I could find for Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So what I love about this is Terminator 1 already did Terminator 1. Like, you've already mm -hmm. got—it's not like this is new. It's right. not like, like this is coming out of nowhere. So remember what Terminator was. Now, remember what Terminator 2 did for the franchise, how, how it was slick and faster and bigger, and, and it was just everything cranked up to 10, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where everybody's mm -hmm. like, Terminator 1 is this fun, cheesy— 80s iconic it's a little time travel movie yeah blah, blah, blah. and terminator 2 is like i've never seen anything like this it's also the apocalypse can i make a prediction if uh -huh. you don't mind before you get in mm -hmm. um, please do i think that the most basic thing you can do if you're going to review a movie sequel is to have seen the first movie <laughs> as well as the second movie i think that is just fundamental journalism i no longer have faith that movie reviewers conduct themselves on a fundamental journalistic basis so i'm willing to predict that this review belies the fact <laughs> that the reviewer has not seen the first <laughs> um can i ask you to make another prediction go on uh the first the first sentence is one of those exclam uh, uh, a lethargic lazy exp uh, expletive that okay. we that we love so much yeah, take a yeah. guess of of what you think this one sentence very very quick expression of uh disgust is for terminator 2 judgment day see the first one that comes to mind and it's one that i think of now now that we've read it it's one i think of all the time is the one from star wars which is oh dull new world <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. i think it's going to be a play on that it's going to be like like oh the humanity how about that <laughs> okay that's uh which right. actually would be a decent and fun little play on the fact that they're robots <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah you're putting way too much subtext in there <laughs> terminator 2 southern voice august 1991 ho hum ho hum <laughs> everybody in this product is arrogant and intensely dislikable Oh, okay. Except <laughs> for the gang of life affirming beer-swilling Mexican-Americans who appear to live in an automobile junkyard where they're blissfully happy. Are they part of the great American what? dream Arnold Schwarzenegger, the film star, is always carrying on about in TV interviews? Where, where are we? Where are we? What are you talking about? I have almost every line of that movie memorized. I do not remember the life-affirming gang of beer-swilling Mexican-Americans appearing in an automobile junkyard. I don't remember them. 
I don't remember that scene at all. If it happens at all, it's in the first 15 minutes of the movie, like before the inciting incident, right? Or like, or like it's the camera panning past them in the background <laughs> to yeah, get to the, the big, you know, time travel orb. <laughs> this guy is doing, yeah, he's doing the movie equivalent of like, can you guys just get out of the way so I can watch the really interesting stuff, yeah. which is like, like 500 yards that way. Can we all, let me just, just for a second. <laughs> I, let me just say this. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a man who grew up in austria and his one definable like one unique characteristic is the ability to lift heavy things <laughs> and he did that over and over and over again and he did it so good and so well that everybody in the world knew who he was for his ability <laughs> to lift heavy things so he comes to america and goes i want to be a movie star despite the fact that he can he can barely speak english to the point where in his first movies they had to adr in every single line because when he delivered them they were unintelligible mm -hmm. and on top of that the adr lines not great either like no like yeah he's no. St it's still you gotta like you'd be better off with subtitles for some of them yeah um this man became the number one action movie star in America, in the world, despite barely being able to speak English and, and you know, having no, like, really marketable acting skills. I would wager that the original Terminator, like, I'd wager that the original script had more speaking lines. Yeah. I, it's his, his ability, his... He was so new to the scene and his English was quite limited. I wouldn't be surprised if they cut a significant portion of the script in order to account for it. Um, so all of this is to say that man is allowed to speak about the American dream whenever he goddamn pleases. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. He is the American dream. Yeah. Just, a, just, just coming out of nowhere with one skill and turning into the governor of California. <laughs> yeah. That guy is allowed to, don't you dare tell that man he's not allowed to talk about, like, listen, you can do, you can achieve dreams. Yeah. You can achieve your dreams despite everything, everything possible working, like, mathematically saying that's not, that's not likely. That's it's, a fabulous it point. Blows me away. That's an amazing point, and you're totally right. And in kind of like an inverse mirror version of that, I would say film critics are probably also when you want to talk like the American dream, like I'm getting paid to do nothing. <laughs> like yeah. I, I found a niche. <laughs> I don't have to go uh, on set or do anything. I literally just get to tell people that they don't, that they shouldn't talk about the American dream. That's the American dream. <laughs> uh, let's keep going here. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> the, the picture is said to have cost upwards of a hundred million dollars, though a dream sequence of a nuclear explosion is laughably fake. N no no it's 1991 and that was amazing yeah. she explodes into a skeleton that scene i saw i saw t2 when i was probably like i don't know 11 12 years old for the first time yeah uh that stuck that's stuck with me for that's stuck with me to this day that's how i when i think of like what if what if a nuke yeah that's, i'm sorry like every time i see it's on me the news, holding on to a chain like yeah fence. every time i see on the news where they're just like north korea's make uh, encroaching into the the the, the neutral zone yeah. the first thing i think of is like <laughs> like it's literally i i play that out in my head yeah you're absolutely yeah. right uh, Schwarzenegger plays a cyborg sent from the future to protect a particularly repellent child who is allegedly key to the survival of the species. There's your Sorry. clue that he didn't read, that he didn't see the first movie, because he's not saying, like, in, an, in a change of pace from the first one. He's literally going, like, in this movie. In this movie, this is what we get. Also, I hate to do this. <laughs> I, I feel like I do this every episode. I love it, though. He's, to be so technical, he's not a cyborg. Mm -hmm. He's a robot. Mm -hmm. A cyborg is a human with with like robotic parts inserted. That he's an android. If you want to get use a super technical term, but he's a robot. 
you're saying this after you saw the amount of attention that he gave to the Mexican-Americans appearing in the automobile junkyard. Okay, you know what? When you, when you put it like that, Dave. All right. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. The picture has that dirty day-glow pink sheen currently all the rage among West Coast high conceptors. <laughs> what? That's what you see when you watch Terminator 2 is... The, the pink day glow sheen and Linda Hamilton playing the kid's mother gives a performance so overblown, so overwrought that she behaves like a one note hysteric. Again, you didn't see the first one because if yeah. your first comment isn't holy shit, I can't believe that's the same actor from her character in the first one to this one. If that's not your note, you're 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 wrong and you did not watch the first <laughs> you movie you didn't do the homework yeah the movie amounts to one long long chase scene and damned if the american public isn't lapping it up as if it was something special <laughs> i don't think i've ever seen you wince like that <laughs> that was such a subtle wince <laughs> is is the note that one long chase scene should in and of itself be like a detraction? Like, is that supposed to be? I'm a not bad sure. Thing? Cause it's like the, the movie amounts to one long, long chase scene and damned if the American public isn't lapping it up. Yeah, I think you, it may be like monkeys don't love it. Yeah. 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 Some of the best movies ever are one long chase scene. Yeah. It, it's a mad, 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 mad world is a, is arguably one long chasing Mad Max Fury Road. That's another gigantic, exclusively a chase sequence. Yeah. Um, and, and two two fantastic movies. Uh, T2 uh, it is a gigantic chase scene. That works. There's also goals along the way. Like there are things that they do, like they've got to break into the uh, into Skynet and apparently not. apparently you're reading way too much into it this cyborg and this uh overblown hysteric mother yeah overwrought yeah yeah yeah. oh boy oh boy i mean also it's a quick little side note when they say a particularly repellent child as far as kid actors go kid characters and kid actors eddie furlong in in terminator 2 is about as far away from that annoying tag-along kid role as you're ever, ever going to get. Yeah. Yeah, he's good in it. Um, He's not, you know, I don't think he knocks it out of the park. There's a little bit of scenery chewing, but, like, he, you know, the whole, like, you know, uh, the whole scene where he's trying to teach him, like, hasta la vista yeah. feels a little dated. But a little I, bit, but then, but then, like, to me, that's evened out by the holy shit, you can't go around killing people. Like, there's, yeah, there, there's great, genuine yeah. moments where, like, he pulls Arnold aside and goes, like, you're not, a, you're not a murderer. <laughs> you're not a cyborg anymore. You're not a murderer <laughs> anymore. Like, you can't do that, and it's just played very serious, very real. So, yes, mm-hmm. there are those moments, but it's uh, to me it's like there's enough there where you're like, no, 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 there's subtext and there's stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a kid, how old was he when he made this movie? He's probably early teens. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I think he does a great job. Um, it must be tough to be a kid actor, man. I don't know what it's like, but you can't uh, win. Imagining where I was emotionally at like thirteen, and then putting me in a in a context where like I'm making the biggest movie of the year in in front of James Cameron, like yeah, and it's on my back. Like I'm carrying some I'm, heavy I'm emotional scenes. Every I'm in every scene because everybody's every out scene. to get me and. And in most scenes, my scene partner is a literal robot who's incapable of emotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have, I have to... to carry the emotional weight of every scene I'm in because I'm I'm playing against nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, you ready to get really mad? Sock it to me. Let's oh, do it. Oh, I, for, I, I, did, I didn't get where this is from, but this is a review of The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, boy, so, here we go. Remember what Star Wars accomplished. Remember, mm-hmm. I don't know if you were alive then, but take yourself back, listener, to 1980. The the, the world changed in the in 77, and this is the sequel to Star Wars. 
The most dazzling trick in the Star Wars armory remains its opening caption, announcing that we are about to what we are about to see takes place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The trick neatly conflates past and future, fairy tale and science fiction, but it also neatly evades the responsibility of science fiction to imagine the future Shut we the deserve. Fuck up. And the challenge of a fairy tale to create a world in which we might have lived and therefore can believe. What? <laughs> so it. <laughs> the so it it can. The responsibility of science fiction is to imagine a future that we deserve. That is, according to this reviewer, specifically the responsibility of science fiction. And the responsibility of a fairy tale is to create a world which we might have lived and can therefore believe. First up, let's just say this. All it ever says really is a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. That is the, you're, that is you're the adding all the soul. That's the sole like part of Star Wars that makes it dated. It's also in a galaxy far, far away. The whole point of saying a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is, is don't don't worry about whether or not this is like us in the future or us in the past. Like th this is, this is <laughs> think about, think about the fact that the lights come down, Lucasfilm fade to black a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This reviewer is like, I feel cheated. <laughs> like he's already I was promised both yeah. a fantasy and a future movie. Yep. Uh, that, uh, the star Wars series now in unpromising infancy basically asks us to imagine and believe nothing. Its technological sophistication does away with the need for the former, and its camp me melding of myths in storyline and characters acknowledges the impossibility of the latter. <laughs> it's just... What movie are you watching? What are you watching? What are you what watching? Are you watching? Yeah. With yeah. the revelation that Lucas has such a series in mind, even the genuinely fun elements of the first film, its comic strip eclecticism, its movie serial dash and narrative tropes, are pedantically filled out and institutionalized. The choice of Irving Kirshner as director, presumably to help bring out the human elements over the comic strip streamlining of Lucas's own direction, proves in the event ill-advised. I hate this one, Dave. I hate this it's, one so it's much. It's just mind-boggling. What the series so far appeals to is audience naivete rather than innocence. The perfunctory conflict of good and evil is less the driving force than the steady escalation of special effects. And cynicism rather than wonder. This is Buck Rogers on a super colossal budget, inviting us to lose ourselves in the gloss, not the story. That's just wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh... That's just wrong. What are you, wh what yeah, what are are you, you seeing else? Like, I want to be in your brain for a minute because it's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. This movie swings for the fences in a way that I like in terms of I for me, at least in terms of the change from one movie to the next. Yeah. Uh, in the Star Wars franchise, this is by <laughs> far the biggest. 90% of the original uh, of, of episode four takes place in, in basically a desert. Um, it's pretty kind of contained a little bit with that still manages to create scope and scale but but it, it the like actual set pieces are largely just kind of desert scenes you in this movie you have hoth you have dagobah you have uh cloud city it's just so lofty in terms of um it goes like, oh, we can build literal worlds that are all unique and different from each other. And so the life forms there are different. The the way in which people like travel is different. Mm -hmm. Like this movie is so imaginative and inventive in terms of like taking the idea of Star Wars and going, um, this this it, the the possibilities for this universe are so endless. What the, this review is written like the first one didn't happen. Like like there's a little bit of a commentary that like oh it's like you know the it's in its infancy this 
what is it? Yeah, this, did he say like the fledgling franchise? Yeah, or something? the Star Wars I, now in unpromising. The original movie had already at this point almost made a billion dollars. <laughs> nope, apparently <laughs> it's unpromising infancy. Like, so there's like a, a very subtle acknowledgement that like this is now something that is beginning and that is going to keep going. But like, there, there's no like I don't know how you talk about Empire Strikes Back without comparing it to like. Look at this thing that was lit that literally changed Hollywood and changed the world. And we are three years later, and here is pumped up. Like now, they don't have to worry about getting to uh, uh, telling the origins of these characters. We are mm -hmm. hopping right in. We're the, in. Vader is coming right after them. Their their romance is right there. Luke's adventure is right there. It's all now twice as many planets and and better characterizations than the first movie how how is that not what you're writing about where it's like i didn't think it worked because you have the structure now that you can read from of like well this movie compared to that one this doesn't do that at all it just goes like it wasn't imaginative <laughs> like it's just yeah. star wars was a f an, the original was such a phenomenon you know, it was the number one movie for like eight months of the year. Yeah. The guts it took to turn around and go like, we're going to try and do that all over again. And we're going to do it bigger. And we're going to do it better than we did in the first one. And we are going to, you know, we are going to expand this world beyond what you can imagine. And to like really deliver on that. Um, well, it's is, the template. It's nothing the template else has done it that that. It spoils you, and it spoiled me for the rest of my <clears throat> my childhood into my adulthood. Where, when a sequel comes out, and it's and it doesn't do what what Empire does, and I'm kind of like, well, I know that I know it's possible to do it bigger and better with yeah, better characterizations, be and like, and and pump everything up to ten and not lose the heart. In fact, double the heart. You know, like, like like Empire is the template by which I compare every other sequel and yeah. and am constantly finding like other sequels don't hold up nearly as well. To to say that it's it's not a um I don't know what was the phrase it's still in its infancy. Yeah. Is like you have missed the um the notes that these people are hitting. But is there, these people are just banging on all cylinders. Is there anything is there any phrase more telling about the psychology of of movie critics the star wars series now in unpromising infancy so unpromising like you're, infancy, you're acknowledging that this is the beginning of something big like like you probably hated the original you're like oh this is gonna not be anything it wasn't it became the biggest thing ever and yet you still can't you still can't just admit you still can't call it a phenomenon you gotta say like now mm -hmm. that it's you know lackadaisically beginning it, something that is it also admits i don't know if they knew this when the movie came out that there'd be another but just that there'd be another and another mm -hmm. and another and another that that it isn't that is in its infancy like yeah. we're gonna get a shit ton of these movies and they're all gonna be huge successful hits. yes um well, successful, depending on how you define it. They'll certainly make money. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. The, whether or not they're all great is <laughs> debatable. But. So let's uh, let's move. This is the Starlog magazine that in our Thing episode, uh, I found a clip of the, the review for The Thing from this magazine that was so crazy, I had to find the full review. That's the um, level of production you can expect on this podcast. Absolutely. It only took we a couple of weeks. We chase every review to ground. Now, We're hunting them all down. Now, there is nothing that, that expresses, the uh, again, the psychology of movie reviewers than this magazine. This is the biggest hits of 1982 reviews. This has reviews for Star Trek II, E.T., Tron, Poltergeist, the Road Warrior, Blade Runner, and The Thing are all in just this magazine. The fact that that 
the text of this magazine isn't, oh my God, overload. Oh my God. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> there are so many good movies out right the now. The <laughs> fact that it's kind of like, well, another summer come and gone like, like, <laughs> is, is just <laughs> amazing to me. The fact what that year it's is this? Like 82? 1982. The biggest 82, hits yeah. of, of nine. This is the How special. How spoiled you must be. Science fiction summer wrap up issue. Are we ready to, are we ready to rock? Hmm. <laughs> when Universal decided to remake the classic 50s horror film The Thing, they made a smart decision to return to the original short story by William F. Campbell, Who Goes There? That was the only smart decision Universal made. Part of the tragedy of Hollywood filmmaking is, quote-unquote, the deal, in which individuals get assignments not by their rep respective qualifications or talents, but instead because they've been, they've been termed as hot commodities. So who should get the assignment to script the psychological suspense science fiction horror thriller? What more logical choice than Bill Lancaster, author of The Bad News Bears? Question mark. Were they hoping to work in kids and Walter Matthau somewhere? And then John Carpenter right, entered the picture. Right, because when you write when you write one movie, no, uh, that's, your that's, next movie should have both the same cast and the same. That's uh, how Hollywood works. You know, All of your characters just show up in the next movie that you write. You are now a child Walter Matthau writer, and, <laughs> right. and that that is every movie that you must make from now on. And then John Carpenter entered the picture and totally ruined it the moment he did. It I've doesn't seen, say that. Did it, or, yeah. that wasn't it says it wrote they wrote that. Yeah. And then John Carpenter oh, I thought entered that was the you joking. Jesus fucking Christ. And totally okay. ruined it the moment he did. <laughs> then comes the part of the interview that we read last time where he com compares it to like garbage and like, you know, who likes the smell of garbage. It has no oh, pace, yeah, yeah. sloppy continuity, zero humor. We all re we read this before. Bland characters on top of being totally devoid of either warmth or humanity. Now, here's here's where it picks up. It says a great deal that Carpenter has been quoted to the effect of being, quote, surprised that his new abomination hasn't garnered either box office or critical success. The thing is Carpenter's futile attempt to give the audience what he thinks they want. It amounts to little more than two hours of makeup test footage. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The release of this film also Some comes... Of the best practical effects in any movie ever. Nah, nah. Like, it's before or since. Makeup test footage, apparently. The release of this film also comes as one of the prime examples of cinematic bad timing. To release a cold and sterile horror effects movie against the optimism of E.T., the reassuring return of Star Trek II, the technical perfection of Tron, and the sheer integrity of Blade Runner is the ultimate slap in the face to a movie hoping to cash in quickly on the genre audience. Why wasn't this movie like the other movies yeah. that were out? But that's an amazing point to make where it's like, there's all of these other great movies out there, and this one is definitely just a cash grab. Yeah. It's not yeah, doing like, anything unique. It's not doing mm -hmm. its own thing. Why isn't it optimistic like how E.T. is optimistic? Yeah. It's like because it's not optimistic. <laughs> because because it's not... the point of the movie is not to be optimistic. It's literally giving you a different it's interpretation of aliens. Different story. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe aliens are not adorable friends who like Reese's Pieces. Like <laughs> the also the reassuring return of Star Trek Two. Star Trek Two is really bleak compared to the first one. It's it's like it's a revenge story, and it's yeah, it's, it's a, very specifically Shakespearean, not, like dark. Yeah, yeah, like it's not a reassuring <laughs> return. In and of itself is pretty bleak. I guess in and of itself, I was reassured. Like, oh, thank God, there are plenty more Star Trek movies. Right, like, right, right. But they were all out. When I started watching them, so I had the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> if you're waiting for me to discuss the specifics of the movie itself, in all honesty, I don't have a great deal to say. Still, it is supposed to be a review of the film, so now let's return to it. I must admit to finding, <laughs> I know, like, this is what we need to read. We need to Full read. Full on acknowledging, like, yeah. I must admit the first eight minutes of John Carpenter's The Thing are arresting, interesting, but that's it. The film takes place almost entirely at an Antarctic scientific research station. Carpenter uses this locale to about the same effect as blood on a snow cone. In other words... What does words, he mean almost entirely, though? Can we yeah, just... No, entirely. Exclusively. Entirely. 
Exclusively. Yeah. Carpenter uses this locale to about the same effect as blood on a snow cone. In other words, atmosphere is used to no other purpose than to establish cold. I think he's having a stroke. What is that? I, th I think this cold. writer is having a stroke in the middle of the sentence. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, not that I don't agree with him completely because <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't use that, the isolation and inability to get help or, and uh, the claustrophobia of not at all living, living together with these people who you don't trust. Yeah. None of that is used effectively. That doesn't create tension in any way whatsoever in this movie. Also, Absolutely. by the way, Blood on a Snow Cone is the name of my punk band out of Bushwick. You should check us out. <laughs> We're, uh... Then oh, comes man. the characters. And first, let me say that not one of the ensemble of actors in this film can be faulted. They did the best they could working with inferior material so light it could have been typed on cotton. Chili could have been used as the word to describe the characters as well as the climate. To be exact, this film doesn't have characters. It has victims. Every actor is left to playing the same thing. Impersonal drones readying for special effects deaths. No, 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 no. Uh -uh. There's... <laughs> Again, like we talked about in the episode, there is a little bit of ambiguity about their their roles. They're not... They're not clearly definable archetypes necessarily because the intent is to show the camaraderie of a bunch of people doing a job all being put into psycho a psychological situation where they have to survive. I think we talked about this already in the in the actual review, but the purpose uh like the movie goes out of its way to not establish connections. Yes. Yeah. The point is not about like, oh, he was my friend. We go way back. In fact, that kind of sentence is said exactly once. Yeah. The, sh the sheriff says like, I've known that man for 10 years. And Kurt Russell goes like, look at where we are. And the yeah. guy goes, yeah, you're right. We should probably kill him. Yeah. Like, oh, these guys right. are trying yeah. to survive. Yeah. Like they, they don't have the luxury of friendship. And, um, and yeah, I, I mean, also the depth of like the the fact that the characters are are a little bit of blank slate i mean each of them has their own characterization clearly <laughs> like there are characters within these people but they're fairly blank slates i think so that if someone like to create the impression of like it could be anybody mm -hmm. it, that there is no acting out of character because there was no character to begin with and also to allow the audience to imprint on whoever they need to in that moment yeah. um we are uh, even uh, incapable of caring for the lead character, despite the fact that he's played by Kurt Russell, a fine, inventive actor who seems to excel whenever he's away from Carpenter's direction, with Elvis being the sole exception. Got to get a dig in. Got You can't, you can't, can't just yeah. say a nice thing. Nope. Can't just nope. do it. As for the plot, it's merely a thin excuse for various sideshow grotesque grotesqueries like crawling limbs and animated decapitated heads. Looking this is for a sci-fi magazine, right? Like this is for exactly yeah. the kind of people who are into like like the idea of of like unique uh like prosthetics and movies to create the illusion of alien life forms. Yeah, like, like right before this you you reviewed Tr Tron and Poltergeist. Like this is for this these type. This is this for is these exactly readers. This is exactly the audience. That, yeah. Yeah. This is exactly the audience that movie was made for. Looking at the film from pure a purely technical end, it's faultless aside from the music, which barely exists. Cinematography, sound, and editing editing are all state of the art. Yet these qualities have become expected, even passe, in these days of fantasy movie making. Yes, these these out of touch days of the early 80s when fantasy movie making has already <laughs> become passe like yeah, yeah we're over the hill in terms of fantasy at this point yeah. what's needed is something unique and individual from the director behind the camera that undefinable ingredient from the movie maker that lets us know he cares and loves about what he, he cares about and loves what he's creating again that's tied to that earlier review that we read that was like he seems disinterested in letting us know how he feels you yeah. know <laughs> The only aspect of this film that possesses that quality comes from young, young Rob Bottin. 
His makeup is sheer perfection, possibly even genius. Botine has always taken both care and pride in his craft, but for this film, his talent has been sadly misused. It's 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 a it's a literal like runway of of his work. It's a masterclass in prompts. It's just and a montage. He's also twenty two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's okay. almost like hiring Van Gogh to repaint a park bench. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You let Rob Bottin go have fun with a movie about a shape-shifting alien that can take on the characteristics of anything that it wants. It's it's the great, it's it's giving Van Gogh 30, like, like canvases and saying, do what you want. Do what you want. Explore this. Yeah, it's, it's his point that it's, it's underused that it's a waste of his talent i guess but it's like no like his props carry this movie yeah his his props are what create the holy shit like well he agrees with that it's safe to say that botine's makeup is the only element of john carpenter's the thing that held my interest better it should be called rob botine's the thing for if this film belongs to anyone it's certainly him him sure well, sure. I think I think Rob Bottin. I think that this is this is the gold standard for props. But I do. That's unfair to literally everybody else who I think crushed this movie. Car- Carpenter. Yeah. The the tension of this movie, the the choices that they make of like you know the 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 famous whole the light in the eyes scene where they're testing the blood. Mm-hmm. The tension there is like that's not. I mean, the end of that scene is Rob Bottin, but the tension leading up to it is Carpenter This is and the actors all, you right. know, humming, you know, all, all playing along with the same. Yeah. Ugh. This okay. is actually okay. one part where I do agree. This is a hundred percent something that I had not thought of that I thought was a good point. Okay. And where there is story logic when Carpenter and Lancaster have already established every part of the thing as a separate deadly and reproductive organism. So when, uh, what do they have their hero do? Toss dynamite at the monster, blowing it into a thousand pieces. The more the merrier. Spread the wealth. Could it be set up for a thousand sequels? <laughs> I mean... Oh, that's an excellent point. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things where I kind of just like, you know, oh, just watch the movie. <laughs> but like, I yeah. do agree that within the logic of like knowing that each piece, knowing that each piece kind of can sprout legs and walk it's off. self-contained. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair that's a fair problem but, with the movie. But here's here's where it gets it, we're, we're almost done here. It, it's my contention that John Carpenter was never meant to direct a science fiction horror movie. Here are some things he'd be better suited to direct. Traffic public. accidents, train wrecks and public floggings. Wow. Wow. There are reviews and then they're just like that's just mean. That's just rude and mean. Mhm. <laughs> uh what an awful now, thing to say a couple of episodes ago we talked about how like these sound very personal in times yeah. and i made like yeah. an anecdote where it's like you better get your shit together listen to this if you haven't seen if john carpenter wants to continue directing films he'd better wise up <laughs> that's in here <laughs> It's not who the enough. Fuck are you? Yeah, who are you, <laughs> you dude? It's not enough to have a good idea. You must have vision and the ability to realize it. It's not enough to put your name over the title. You must have evidence of your heart, mind, and soul on the screen. It's Jeez, not enough. He sounds like his film professor. Yeah, like... yeah, yeah. It's not enough to only show the grotesque. You must explore it and its relation to man beyond the more the more exploitation of simple depiction. I think that's supposed to be mirror, but it's more in here. Uh, Carpenter says he's obsessed with the insanity of evil and its immortal quality. If John John Carpenter's The Thing were about that, I would have been interested. Instead, he made this film, and I have no idea what it's about. Correction, I do know what it's about. It's about two hours. 
I will say at the end of it, to this review's credit, it does kind of provide a prescription of what it wanted, which is in short supply in these reviews. Right. Uh, but again, um, it's like, no, the movie did all of those things. Like the, yeah. the like the movie, what what when we say we want, like, well, what is your suggestion? I also want that suggestion to not literally then just be a laundry list of things that the movie succeeded in doing. <laughs> like, I, I need... <laughs> yeah why don't you explore yeah. the humanity of what happens to people you, you can't just put the grotesque up there you have to show us like something special that we've never seen before it's like it, it did yeah it did <laughs> um holy smokes I knew there was more to this to this review when we read that little excerpt. I was like, I got I gotta see yeah, the rest here. Yeah, this yeah. this one is this one's a weird one. Uh I do agree with the note about blowing up the thing. Uh other than that, um I don't know. I this one the thing is 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 an interesting one that we I'm glad we covered because it's a movie I watched a while back and then rewatched in preparation for the for the um podcast this movie the thing is stuck with me in a way that very few movies do and we talked a little bit about this last time i don't like it when when people hypo like like think about the hypotheticals of of stuff that's unsaid in the movie as if there's supposed to be a definitive answer that if they got it right, the director will come out of retirement to be like, you got me. Yeah, you, there you it is. You finally figured it out, everybody. Definitively, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And I, I, I never, I, I always like movies where that is not the point. Maybe the director did have in a Bible somewhere that he's never revealed to anybody the actual like continuity of the way they filmed the movie and what the actual story is that mm -hmm. is the stuff that they are not telling us about who is the thing and when just so that structurally the movie flows the way they want it, it to sense and, internally, yeah. and there are little hints that maybe for 30 years from now we'll still be f finding new things on the screen in the shot in the framing that that allow the conversation to continually be had that's great and that's wonderful and i think the thing does that great where like it does not matter you you can't only enjoy the movie if you know macready is a human at the end it's not like that's the only way to to enjoy yeah. the movie like the the fact that we can all talk about it, but that ambiguity is there. There was an interview recently where uh, Carpenter went on Colbert, and Colbert literally took the time to go like, I'm not saying tell me. I'm saying when you made the thing, did you have, like, do you have an answer? Is there a definitive answer? And Carpenter, like, slyly smiles and goes like, yes. And and he's like, you know, will you ever tell somebody? And Carpenter goes like, yes, if you pay me a lot of money. Like he clearly it was a joke. <laughs> yeah. And he's just he just gets off on on the fact that everybody talks about it, and he just likes to m mess with people about it. I love yeah. that because That's it great. allows us. You know, that's a way Kubrick would never do it. Kubrick would never be like, I don't know, is it about Native American burial yeah, grounds? Gonna, yeah, you're going to make it work my while? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> like, I, I like the fact that, that Carpenter may have had a definitive answer, but that's not, that's not the only way to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, I love that about it. And, and yeah, you can... You can go either way, and each way has it's it's such a it's so carefully like done and made in a way that like each alternative is both equally plausible and has different ramifications mm -hmm. for like how you feel about each character retroactively, like yeah, all the choices leading up to that ending. Um, you go like, okay, like if if x then y and like yeah you just get to work it the whole way back yeah and um th the knock we saw a lot and saw again in this one is that the the characterization is like shallow and it and it bugs me i know i've already said it it just bugs me because it's exactly enough in my opinion yeah it's exactly what was called for for this movie there are little scenes you just gotta like be looking for them and to see them like the scene where they're testing the blood and um they test the blood of one of the dead guys and it doesn't react 
And Keith David turns to Kurt Russell and goes, I guess that makes you a murderer. There's so much there's there. There's so much there. Yeah. There's so much there. And like, you just got to not, you, you need to be not paying attention in order to miss that kind of stuff. Or like the, the infamous, the iconic, you got to be fucking kidding. Me. Yeah. It, there's so much character in that. It, that like you you you're just oblivious to it if you if you're not seeing characterization in this movie. This review I think exp uh, expressed to me <clears throat> kind of what I think is probably something that we haven't talked a lot about um, that probably hinders a lot of these movies, which is context around other movies that that are around at the time. Mm -hmm. You and I get to watch the thing when we are in the mood for a psychological horror movie. Sure. You know, using great effects, we are completely removed from the fact that it came out right along E.T., the the, yeah. the timeline of E.T. and Blade Runner and all of these other mm -hmm. things. And I know we try to we talk <clears throat> when we do our episodes, we do try to talk about like what was out in the movie theater around the same time. But I think it's very hard to, to do that, like like when Armageddon and Deep Impact came out simultaneously people really kind of made their choice. Um, mm -hmm. The Illusionist and and um, uh, The Prestige came out around the same time. It's like mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. you seem at the Friends moment... Friends with Benefits and what was the other one? <laughs> yeah, 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 No Strings Attached or whatever. No the Strings fuck. Attached. It's a classic, which... Am I an Ashton guy? Am I a JT guy? <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it, is, it is that thing where it's like you kind of pick your camp and that becomes... This is good and this is bad. Bugs Life and Ants, you know, like mm -hmm. either mm -hmm. one one is superior to the other. But then like a couple of years go by and nobody is they're not side by side on the shelf. They're not right next to each other on Netflix. Right. You know, they're not side by side on the shelf of the video store. So you can like, oh no, no, I want to watch this specific story right now. And 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 enjoy it for what it is. So I think that may be what we see when we watch the thing, where it's like removed from the context of, oh no, it was too bleak, it was too dreary, it was reminding people too much of da 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 da, or we wanted optimism at this time, and you know Reagan and da 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 da, or whatever else was going on, where we are removed from that. I think that's fair, but at the same time, like. I, I I do understand that like yeah there are other there there's no question that there are great movies out at the same time as this movie competing with it, um and that context is important but at the same time you've walked into a movie theater to watch this movie mm -hmm. like watch this movie don't sit there <laughs> and think about what else you could be watching yeah watch this movie and appraise this movie on its own merit. Rather than going, it's not E.T., it's not blah, blah, blah. It's not, um, you know, it's not Star Trek 2. Uh, like, movies aren't comparative. Yeah, Art should not be comparative. Art should be a, like a, a, a thing that you enjoy as a standalone piece. In, to my mind, if the, if the movie relates to something else, if the movie asks you to draw comparisons, that's one thing. But the thing never asked to be, it's not a response to E.T. It's not a, <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. a refutation of the idealism of E.T. It came out at exactly the same time. So it's not meant to be watched as a like companion piece to any of these movies. So stop comparing it to like that. And also like, as a reviewer, like, like I'm getting the vibe that you're, that you're, thinking about thinking about these movies you're writing a review within the context of what else is coming out but you never like straight up say that you never say this isn't the movie that america needs right now you just say john carpenter's full of shit and and yeah. it's like he should it, be directing traffic right Fuck so you. if if that is the case that these that these movie reviewers can't get the context of the time out of their head when they're doing it they at least need to communicate that they at least need yeah. to say that that's what they're doing, where it's like maybe one day from now people will pull this movie out and go like, oh, interesting, but not right now. Like We're, f we're far too idyllic right now. Yeah. yeah. Like if that's the case, then you got to say it. But, but you're also right where it's like 
especially in the in this time, there there wasn't like strategy really put into exactly when a movie is being released and you know like movies are made and it takes them years to make them and it just happens to coincide now there's probably a lot of like you know oh oh no there was a school shooting so we can't release this movie that has something that might be mm -hmm. thought of in poor taste so let's let's but like there's probably a lot more thought put in now than there was back then where it's like sorry this has been in the pipeline to be released yeah. on this day. We, we made a movie like yeah. yeah, movies that are sequels, movies that are plays on other movies, like movies that are, you know, using the same source material, like, you know, riffs on Shakespeare, stuff like that. Sure. I get comparisons. Uh, but when a movie is meant to be its own piece, you should review it as its own piece. Yeah. You should you should review the movie on on the merits rather than trying to say I'd rather be watching E.T. because it's more optimistic. Mm -hmm. That's not you're talking past the movie at that point. If you say this movie is it misses the mark because it paints a bleak picture but executes that poorly, or you know there are issues with you know poor writing, poor directing, those kinds of things fine but like it's it's annoying to say like the theme of this movie is different from a equally or better <laughs> movie <laughs> that's stupid right 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 but also to trevor's point where it's like does this movie succeed you know did it make the movie that it wanted to make yeah and i think exactly. john carpenter absolutely made the movie he wanted to make he mm -hmm. he succeeded I mean, it's an it's a slam dunk. It's Carpenter's favorite movie. Yeah, um, it's his favorite movie he's ever made. He thinks it's the best work he's ever done. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, it's my favorite of his. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it absolutely succeeds in what what it, it what it sets out to do. It it sets that feel. You walk out of there feeling the way you were supposed to, with the same kind of confusion that he's clearly going for. Mm -hmm. Um, and it stays with you. Like it's powerful when a movie can. You think about a movie a week later trying to piece it all together. Like, that's rare. Uh, you know, you really you broke my brain uh, with the Star Wars review um, because the whole point of this podcast was so that I could have like a power fantasy of holding reviewers to account to show them how wrong they were. And mm -hmm. then you you read a review for Star Wars in which they annotated it and actually found the reviewer and seeing that the vibe seems to be, oh no, 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 no. I, I stand by it. Yeah. Like, like I and I I read that now in everything, all of these reviews, no 20, 30, 40 years <laughs> later, I'm now reading that energy where like I know I will never get satisfaction from them. I, if we found this reviewer for the thing. Yeah, you're not gonna change his mind, dude. Like <laughs> I guess I guess I was naive and part of me thought like like if I could just, if I could, like the end of Zodiac, I just want to see his face and know that it's him. <laughs> I just want to walk up. I'll like me you, going into the hardware store <laughs> and seeing the reviewer for Jurassic Park who said it has no no sense of hope and just kind of like, and just stare at him and, and have him look at me with that with that Zodiac face. <laughs> where and just we be both like, know. Where we both know. That was so important to me, but I know I'm never going to get it. <laughs> Well, here, uh, the odds of this ever happening are astronomical and laughable. But if anybody ever knows any of the people that we review these things <laughs> and they direct these reviews to those people and those people are interested in talking to us. Yes. Day or night, we will talk to them. Oh, oh, uh, yes. And I and... would love to ask people about these reviews. The other thing, too, is I the, the review that we did that for where, where he went back and went like, that movie's for was for losers then and it's for losers now. <laughs> I respect that so much. I don't. I, I have nothing but respect for someone who's like, I stand by my my gut call on that He's fifty so... years later. But that's that's like I I am I absolutely appreciate that he that was his job and he stood by his work cool but it's like, literally the no no because it's literally <laughs> the equivalent do you know remember that remember that old stock footage of that bridge that was like oh the you shaky, know yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. like the architect for that bridge going like 
you know, I stand by gravity's not a big deal. I stand by, I stood by it then, and I stood like he. I'll tell you what, the bridge at, doesn't break in the, in the version I saw. <laughs> yeah, but like to stand by being that bad at your job, your job is to is to accurately like hold uh, a yeah. mirror up to this art and to like get it right to say I know that this won't make it. I I'm know that Star Wars will not stand I'm the test of time. I'm not saying I agree. I'm saying I respect the conviction. I, I love I love the idea that someone was like in in spite of all the evidence <laughs> to the contrary <laughs> I still think you're a dork if you like this. Yeah. Like Yeah. I that's, I got to respect it, man. That's amazing. Well, this has been a, a phenomenally fun. This has been a lot of fun. We should do more like this, and we're gonna yeah, sure. we're gonna also kind of look at maybe doing some uh, reviews of uh, bad movies that got good reviews. Uh, I cannot wait to do that. We'll we'll pick a couple out from that. But this has been amazing. Please like, share, subscribe the show, uh, tell a friend. Um, we we have a blast doing this, and and our our viewership and listenership has been steadily improving and getting bigger. And I love that very much because I'd love to keep doing this and it's so much fun we appreciate uh, it everybody find me on social media at dave colombo on tiktok davecolombo.com and dvd colombo on instagram um send us any comments on any uh on anything on there and uh yeah uh i've been any dave other colombo? recommendations for yeah, grab bag yeah, yeah. episodes like this please do it please i've been dave colombo i'm mick andrews and this has been off the mark <laughs>